Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, uh, our old friend Mark Ennis here to uh, preview the Louisville game. I think it's been four years in a row where Mark is the only guest that we've brought in now. Uh, we've brought in Mark for maybe eight years now. That's all, all sounding like old men here having this conversation. But as always, we'll thank our sponsors uh, off the bat. Louisiana Hot Sauce, Three Simple Ingredients, One Fantastic Product, title sponsor of the Nolcast uh, for six years now, and the good people at Tarpon Cellars Wine. You can go to tarponcellars.com, use coupon code NOLCAST, 20% off. And uh, with that, let's jump into a preview here, gentlemen. So 0-3, very uh, very well may turn to 0-4 come Saturday, but we'll try to give you as good of an idea as to what that'll look like, what to expect, and if you see certain uh, amount of things in the first 10 minutes or so have a pretty good feeling that the game may go in one direction or another. All right. So Mark, uh, for new listeners, the reason we have you on, not only because you're an awesome guy and because we always enjoy having you on, but you do cover Louisville and you're in the Louisville market for ESPN 680, I believe it is. Uh, and 93.9. Yeah. We have, yeah. AM and an FM station. Yep. And the FM station. We, all, we always see Mark at AC Media Day and he's actually a Florida native. Yeah. Uh, so um, somebody we, we, Keep keeping pretty close contact with. All right, so opening night probably couldn't have gone any worse. I would say for for Louisville, they had several targeting ejections and then ended up it, it just couldn't get the run game going at all. Defense kind of played hard for a while and then just you know gave it up, I guess, and they ended up losing um, losing to Ole Miss. What was the final in that one? Forty three forty four. Yeah. After that game, what are you thinking? Uh, I think it's going to be a long year. In particular, uh, you know, with one data point, it was really hard to subtract out what what was uh, specific to Ole Miss. You know, it was hard to say like what's Ole Miss, what's Louisville, and so for for one week, it was just all of Louisville. And, and and I went into that game slightly having been talked into at least being competitive. Because of the bowl game that Ole Miss played without Elijah Moore, I was thinking this might be a deep, uh, an offense, an Ole Miss offense. It's a little easier to keep the top on. Uh, and they were pretty pedestrian without him. 26-20, I think, was the bowl game final against Indiana. And I'm an idiot for thinking that bowl games teach you a lot. And, and so that was foolish on my part. Uh, and so, But you know, you know, two weeks subsequently to that, I feel better than I did. Uh, you know, they had 569 yards or something close to that against Louisville. It's 760 against Tulane, for God's sake. You know, it turns out Ole Miss is a machine. Uh, but I think the most depressing thing for, for Louisville fans was they, they had told us, and you guys know what this is like, we got we got eight, seven, eight, nine guys on the offensive line. We feel good about these guys. We're going to be able to do some things. And they didn't do anything uh, in the first half. And it was getting whipped up front, being kind of, Passive and predictable play calling wise. Now in the second half, they scored 24 points. They put some yards up. They changed up just kind of the overall demeanor of the offense. Cunningham a little more in the shotgun, relied on him a little more as a runner. It opened up some other things. And since then, they've been all right offensively. But coming out of Ole Miss was depressing because the things they said they'd be good at, they weren't. Now I know at least a good chunk of that's because Ole Miss is probably going to be like a nine or a 10 win team, even without even being all that great on defense. Uh, but it's been a little more encouraging. But after Ole Miss, it was bleak, man. It was really bleak. You mentioned using Cunningham more as a runner. Is that something you think that they just didn't want to have to do as much this year? Or is it just they, they wanted to ease them into it? Why, why Why do you think they they brought that on later? I think there's there's two parts to that. One, I think they wanted to be Super Bowl control against Ole Miss. 
because it's, it kind of worked for Arkansas, you know, a year ago. Uh, it's what Scott loves to do anyway. I, rem- I vividly remember him before he, uh, when Louisville hired him one-on-one or just ch- chit-chatting with him. He's like, yeah, when we played Tennessee at App State, when we played at Penn State when I was at App State, he's like, you know, one of the ways we used to really frustrate these guys is just make four. You know, we just had the ball forever. Even if we didn't get points, we just had the ball forever. And I think he was thinking they could be able to do that a little bit against Ole Miss. So that's part of it. But also, if anything happens to him, they're screwed. They don't have a backup that's worth anything. You know, Florida State has four quarterbacks, that, and they might not have any. But Louisville has one, and they might not have any. You know, if anything happens to Cunningham, they're deep trouble. So I think that they reluctantly run him anyway, just out of fear of whatever happens to him. Because Conley is not nearly as mobile, not nearly as good of a deep ball thrower. And then after Conley, it's one of us. So it's, I think those two things. I think, uh, I think Florida State's offensive line coach may actually be texting students right now just to see uh, what they have out there and if anybody's taking snaps. So uh, one of us may be listed on Florida State's depth chart come, come Saturday morning at the uh, tackle position or even the interior. So it's, uh, it's a crazy year, Mark, uh, obviously for Florida State to come off the high that was uh, you know the Sunday night game against Notre Dame and you feel as though the Program's taking some significant steps and buy-in, kids, you know, refusing to quit and fighting back. And then, uh, you know, one of the more significant whiplash moments that, that I've personally experienced in sports where six days later you lose on a really indescribably stupid play to end the game uh, to an FCS team at the end of the, you know, end of the game. And then so you, you know, at I, that point you're in, you're, you're almost home, in shock. You're home from the Eastern Kentucky game where Louisville just kind of sleepwalked through the game. They did the minimum. You know what those games are like. Well, As you should in week two. You just so coming don't off need to lose rest. on right. the last play of the game. Yeah, I came yeah. home, and I knew that they were going to play three games in 12 days. And I, I, uh, my mom was in town for my son's birthday, and I ran in, and I put my phone down. But I had the Florida State game on my phone just because I noticed, like, this is not a blowout. This might be weird. But uh, my kids kept getting up out of bed. So I was putting them back in the bed a bunch of times. And all of a sudden, I hear my phone get real loud from the other room. And I was like, holy crap, did they really just give that up? And I, I didn't realize. I just heard noise. Like, Maybe they gave up a score. I didn't realize it was the last play of the game. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you get you get that whiplash and then maybe a little bit more of a dose reality last week with what happened with Wake and just the – the real understanding that you're so banged up along the offense line that you're staring a one to two. I mean, I, I legitimately think best case scenario is that you win three games this year uh, for Florida State. And I know coming out of the gate saying that in the first five minutes is going to make this podcast even more popular uh, than it is. But it's it's just the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. So it, w- it will be interesting to see. People love murder podcasts. It's fun. Yeah, well, this, this will be. Uh, uh, let's. Uh, this could be real true crime uh, when it comes to what happens with Florida State football. Florida State was picked ahead of Louisville. Uh, they were picked what fourth, I think, ACC media based mm-hmm. in, in the Atlantic. Did you guys? Did you buy that? Did you agree with that? Did you disagree with that? Did you object to that? Like, where were you guys relative to what other people were thinking? I thought they were going to be better, but I didn't know how much better. We we thought between four and seven wins. Oh. Which is a big range, of, like coming off a year. Like, <laughs> I'm not being honest. right. I just, yeah, which yeah, I mean, like, like I, I thought, okay, they will be ahead of Syracuse. Yes, I think they will absolutely be behind Boston or NC State, and obviously Clemson, and then kind of anywhere else in there. 
But I guess if you had told me like, hey, they said they have seven offensive linemen they like and four are going to miss the majority of yeah. you know the early part of the season, I'd have been like, well, shoot, what ACC game are they going to win? Like, yeah. Syrac- Syracuse is not a lock at that point, you know? Uh, and it's not now. Um, but no, we were on the more negative side, I would say. Like we usually are, which in the last like five years has been the more accurate side of things. I hear you. Like, yeah, I think five or six wins is probably, you know, like a bowl game's a big achievement. Uh, some of the other podcasts out there were like, all right, will eight wins be enough? What? Yeah, like in his first two years combined, yeah, sure. <laughs> It'll be enough. But then it kind of slowly came back down to earth, I think, after they got to watch fall camp. So um, no, we, we were pretty consistently, you know, hey, five or six, four or seven, kind of more of the outlier things there. But it's you just know, come what, off the rails early. What you're talking about, like, the, the, this is the hardest job of the ACC and, and the Atlantic. Every, <laughs> outside of Clemson, every game is like 60-40, 40-60, or some range in between. No one is god-awful. Syracuse is close, but no one's god awful and no one's great except for Clemson. And, and it's some version of a marginal game that will be determined by things that only you'll only know that day, which makes this prediction game miserable. Louisville outgained nine opponents last year and they went four and seven. <laughs> like, which made him a decent bounce back candidate. Like, if, if you look at what Florida State did against Wake, right? And I, I actually disagree with the numbers here a little bit. I don't think FSU deserved to win that game. But like the pure numbers give him a 58% post-game win expectancy, like in Bill Connolly's stuff. I mean, it seriously, because they outgained Wake Forest on a per play, per play basis, and they literally had six turnovers in the game, which is not sustainable. Like we know turnovers have a pretty heavy luck component. And some of those turnovers were pretty detrimental. Now, what I saw is that Wake kind of shut it down in the final 20 minutes, and if they needed to score more, I think they could have, right? Like, like to me, that's not really reflective, but also, I don't know that the game played out as far as moving the ball and stopping the opponent from moving the ball to them losing, you know, by 21 points, right? Um, although, I don't really see a way they would have won the game without a lot of turnover luck in their favor. Well, um, you know what sticks out to me about that game is that um, it used to be, and I don't really know, maybe it stopped like this year, last year. Like if Wake beat Florida State, like it was a big damn deal. Yeah. And it didn't feel like a big damn deal to anybody. Like Wake didn't have crazy, we're doing it, body language. The crowd didn't look like we're doing it, big damn deal. And I'm not, this is not trolling at all. You guys know me. Yeah, yeah. Louisville's in the shadow of two and ten. Like I'm not doing this, you know. Uh, but it was weird that it didn't have that feel for maybe the first time literally in my life. I, 1995, I went to Orlando with my girlfriend at the time, Brooke Young. Hi, Brooke. How are you doing? Uh, we went to Orlando back when ACC teams used to sell Florida State their home games. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, Sorry, they played a Duke one there in Jacksonville. That's I, well, No, it was Orlando. I went to that game. Oh, and they, 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 Dan Kendra, they used to bring in a whole second 11 team to come in and play. Remember that? Like in my life. Is this, uh, is this the game where Peter Wark breaks like 11 Duke tackles? Uh, because I, I think maybe they went back and did it again. No, it was 95. It was way before Peter. Well, 90, yeah, because 96 would have been his freshman year. There's a, there's a, but yeah. it was like, I, I have memories of Florida State being impenetrable and, 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 hanging with them. You know, when I was in eighth grade and they've suffered their first ever ACC loss ever, 
I was uh, at Burger King on Florida Avenue in my Adams Middle School football pants and a T-shirt watching that game on a uh, TV in Burger King, watching them lose that game. And it was like they thought uh, Virginia was going to have a parade. And so I've got super long context for this. I don't understand Florida State as they are right now. It's hard. College football's changed so much. You know, I don't, I don't understand Miami looking like Michigan State coming down. I don't know if either of you saw this. Andrea Adelson was tweeting out some of the quotes. Like two-thirds of Miami's broke tackles, broken tackles against Michigan State happened in the fourth quarter against Michigan State. Like, how is that possible yeah. that Michigan State's coming? For a Northern team. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. many things are happening that are just so different than they used to be. And, and I don't, it doesn't make sense to me at all. The one, uh, you know, we, we, we mentioned Alex Atkins, the, the offensive line coach, who, who was the you know, rug game coordinator at, at Charlotte. He's really clicking with these recruits, offensive line-wise. And like he's a guy they really like. I, I don't think they're that far away. Like they're not like five years away from being like good on the offensive line. This year's injuries, I think, is going to mask some of the likely progress that's actually being made. And then I expect him to take a pretty decent jump in about two years. Um, he's got like what six guys committed right now on the offensive line, plus potential for a seventh. Now they may lose one, but like pretty nice offensive line class he's bringing in. Obviously, they have Travis Hunter. Like they, this staff. One of the things that they that they did that Willie Staff did not do well is they messaged expectations to recruits. Like I don't know any recruit who the staff went out and said, "Hey, we're going to kick ass this year," right. right? Like I think their message was, "We're proven developers of talent at Memphis. We just got these guys because last year with the COVID, you know, restrictions, like we weren't able to really work with them. We don't like this roster. We brought in twelve transfers this year yeah. for a reason because this roster sucks. You guys." There is a ton of early playing time we're going to sell, and we're selling it to you. Yeah, I, and, I always think about uh, the story about uh, when, when Urban Meyer at Florida 2005, they got destroyed at Alabama, and the mm-hmm. story that he texted Tim Tebow from the, the tunnel. If we Obviously, Tim, if we were any good, we wouldn't need you. You know, like, yeah. I, I get, like, I'm sure that there's a lot of that, a lot of that going. I think, I think Norvell's a really good coach. I think Florida State just, I just think it's hard for people like me from the outside to totally make sense of the fact that Florida State has gotten. Yeah, they, the other issue is, you know, as you know, in the early signing period, that first class that you sign is likely to be terrible. Oh, you're probably going to get a lot of those guys for a reason and not a bad reason. And and look, they have, they have, this roster is made up half of early signing period classes right now, 18 and 20. And Norvell's 20 class sucks. And Willie's 18 class sucks. Scott's first class was crap. It's bad. Like, if I was a new coach now, I think I would just go all transfer. Pretty much. Because, like, these high school kids you get are washouts. They don't last. Norvell's going to suffer the same fate Willie did as far as that first class. Like, they're not going to get much out of it. People don't want to hear this because there's still guys on this roster, but they're not going to work out. We see this everywhere. There's a reason you're able to get these kids. So, if you have two, if you, this is why I think it's not real bright. Although I, I totally understand why they did it the behind the scenes stuff. But if you do it, if you fire a coach after 19 games, you're going to commit to a long term rebuild roster wise. And they have. Yeah. That's kind of the best. Like, it, you know, you work in college football, you, under, you, you, get, you get that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know. All right. So let's say FSU doesn't turn the ball over six times. 
that would be an interesting start. And maybe they get one of these offensive linemen to play to where they only have like one, you know, non ACC level replacement player along the offensive line. If if they force Louisville to throw the football and they get into passing downs, how equipped is Louisville to do that without you know guys like Atwell and uh, and what's his name who they lost from last year? Yeah, I think just generally speaking, if Florida State doesn't turn the ball over at all, or if it's if it's even, like not six, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, if it's if it's fairly even, if it's within sort of one standard deviation EVA in terms of a turnover margin, it's going to look like Louisville's game against UCF. Like that that game had no turnovers until literally the last two plays of the game. You know, we're, we're a little about the crazy interception, then UCF threw the, the, the pick six. Uh, I think Louisville does not have, and I've said this to another uh, F, uh, FSU podcast earlier, there is no two-two out on this roster. There is no guy that just knifes through cover two and is wide open and it's ridiculous. Like, there is no two-two. It turns out it was a lot more special than any of us realized. Uh, but I think what you've got is uh, a lot of guys who are pretty good, but there's just no one guy that's just like that burner that blows up coverages uh, like Tutu was. Louisville's going to have to manufacture a whole lot. Ma- and I mean that in terms of the effort that it takes. Now, nicely against uh, UCF, what I thought they did, and I don't know if this is just a matter of scouting or whatever it was, but you know, UCF, really nice defensive line. But linebackers, in terms of sort of go- covering horizontally, not that good. And Louisville really got them with backs out of the backfield, tight ends in the flat, you know, things like that. That stuff was there way more, and, and it was the first time really they, they sort of emphasized that sort of thing in the passing game really all year. Uh, but there's no guy down the field that just sort of takes the top off like they've had in the past uh, since Scott's been here. Yeah, yeah. Well, what you did just say there is scaring me already. I mean, Florida State's linebackers are very, very poor, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, in what- pass coverage. Uh, well, and being too aggressive in the run and creating yeah. cutback lanes. And I mean, what y'all's offense does yeah. is placed our strengths or excuse me, placed our weaknesses pretty significantly, I think, with the stretch stuff. I also think that Florida State's defensive line is very good. Um, obviously, there's a fall off as you work your way down the depth chart. And with what, you know, some of the pressure that uh, y'all's offense puts on linemen probably need a little bit more frequent substitutions in this game. And I have a, a lot of concerns in general uh, with where Florida State is offensively, but particularly concerned with what Louisville's offense does and how it kind of uh, pits itself against some of the weaknesses that, that exist in Florida State's team. So, yeah, Mark, are they? Uh, I, I think Louisville. The, the nice thing that they did in the UCF game. Look, the, you know, Scott's first year here, they had Mackay Beckton, who is a minivan. You know, and they would just sort of run Javian Hawkins, who's extremely good, behind him. And then run all of this misdirection stuff, pop passes, play action off of him to Tutu Outwell and Des Fitzpatrick. And it was it was just enough to have like a core of a thing that worked. Uh, they don't have any of that this year. But Scott seems to have been at least resourceful enough to realize we can use Malik Cunningham as kind of a running option, wear teams down a little bit, take advantage of that. Jalen Mitchell's a really powerful running back. He's a really strong kid, can run the ball well. He's 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 not going to break any long runs at all. Uh, Marshawn Ford's a nice tight end in kind of a, a confined area, but there's just none of that breakaway stuff and none of that overpowering stuff 
but they will still sort of test you, like you were saying. So the the, the discipline, you take one wrong step, the double pass, things like that, like this, that stuff's still there. It's just not as deadly whole field as it was the first two years. Um, just yeah. wait, Mark. Just wait. I remember one last thing. year. Hey, I remember last year when you guys came up here. When Florida State, I hate to say it, you guys, when Florida State came up here, someone, uh, uh, one of the, I follow a, maybe a dozen or, or more Florida State fans that tweeted me. They're like, I thought you said this offense wasn't any good. And I remember that tweet. I was like, you fixed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that I know you absolutely love about Scott is that yeah, they like to uh, run the ball a lot on second and 10 after an incomplete on first. Like this year, it seems they're throwing the ball more on early downs a little bit, which is good, but then they follow it up the completion with a, a run, which we know is is kind of negative EV and sets you up for to have like a, a passing down. I saw somebody was week. busting Don Zimmer's balls about that today. Not Don Zimmer. God, Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer. Don Zimmer. Is Don Zimmer alive? <laughs> There's no way. He was old when I was a kid. All I remember is, is uh, you know, him falling. Yeah. <laughs> they were asking, they were asking Mike Zimmer about that today. He was just like, look, Dalvin Cook's our best player. Eh, we're going to give him the ball. <laughs> so is he, is he pairing this approach though with like an army uh, type style where they go for it a lot on fourth down? Against UCF, like, definitely. Yeah. So like they went for it on fourth down a couple of times. They faked a punt. Uh, you know, basically, like this, they did the exact same thing against Ole Miss that they did against UCF. It just worked a little better against UCF. But like third and eleven, they had a quarterback draw. They got a first down. It, it ended up being a ninety-four yard touchdown drive. You know, they are more willing uh, to go for it on fourth down uh, and that sort of thing. I think what happened is the e- the Eastern Kentucky game, that middle game, fourteen times, second and six or more, they ran it eleven times. And and I asked them like, I asked them at the Monday press conference, I'm like. Why? Why are you doing that when literally nobody else thinks that's the right thing to do? And he basically was just like, we got to get good at it. He said, we, you know, we got to get good at it. And I think we can kind of muscle Eastern Kentucky up, which they couldn't. But the following week against, uh, against UCF on Friday, you know, they, they threw it on first down way more. They ran it on, on second and long far fewer times than they did the week before. I think they were just basically like, hey, we got an overmatched opponent. We can't lose. Let's just try the crap we're not good at which I think it's hard for fans to accept that that's what they're doing, but that's what they were doing. And against UCF, they had them way more off balance. So I don't think that that's who they are. But for that game, I was pretty pissed off. So one thing I, I'm just kind of going through you know, some of the game data so far, I want, want to kind of pick your brain, see if it lines up with what you've seen or if it's just kind of an outlier. Are they really allowing 71% completions? Yeah, but the, but it's it's been a lot of, a lot of like third and 10 or more, you know, against UCF, for instance, you know, they, I think Dylan Gabriel had a great game percentage wise, but they were two of 10 on third down. You know, mm-hmm. like they would gave up a whole lot of, there was a third and 22 and they lined up by Benetti on the broadcast was like, they've got the safeties at the slugger museum. You know, like it was, they're fine with that. You know, they, they stayed ahead of the chains in that game and defended pretty well. So the percentage hasn't been great, uh, but they've also played Ole Miss and UCF. Right. Dylan Gabriel and, and, and Matt Crawford freaking good. Uh, so it, that's where one of those, I think, like the opponent's numbers are kind of cooked into that. And they've stayed ahead of the chains. They're fine with the guy converting or completing a, you know, a third and 22 pass for nine yards or a third and seven pass for three yards. A lot of times I watched the uh, uh, SB Nation's UCF guy, and forgive me for not remembering his name, 
Uh, but, you know, there were third and 10, third and nine, third and eight. And Louisville would just let Bill and Gabriel kind of scan, dump it off in the flat. And they're like, why are we throwing it short? That's, that's what was open. So, like, the percentage hasn't been great. But Louisville's third down deep was really good in that game. And I think that that's Got what it. they're kind of hoping for. I'm looking for other, other ways this thing could be interesting. Louisville's run defense. What's the strength of the year defense? Yeah. Uh, Secondary. Uh, yeah. You feel comfortable about your linebackers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I linebackers uh, as mobile. You know, so I think that the, like the inside linebackers, Monty Montgomery, C.J. Avery, had a really nice game against UCF in particular. Uh, and and Ole Miss, like once Monty Montgomery got ejected for targeting in that game, uh, that's when Ole Miss started to just sort of tear them apart between the hash marks. Like he's very mobile, very active, very good in kind of the middle as like a. Remember James Burgess was here before. He was really yeah. good. Uh, that guy that's almost like a super big free safety or a strong safety like like that. Uh, and the secondary is really good. Like they, like like for me, you guys just laugh at me. I don't care. It's fine. But like I'm when when I hear McKenzie Milton's probably going to play the whole game. I'm like that's good. Like for Louisville, that's good because I think that they'll try to play as much man as they can, you know, and, and come after him. Because I think Keisha Clark's really good at corner. The two safeties that they brought in that are transfers and Kendrick Duncan and, and Quintero Cole had a great game against UCF. I think they'll they'll trust those guys against the uh, FSU's wide receivers. Close. That's a good idea. I think you will uh, turn the TV off on Saturday, Mark, and go, I knew their offensive line was bad. I didn't realize it was that bad. And their receivers are even worse than I thought they were going into this yeah, I mean, One cautionary thing. Two years ago when Louisville went down there, the, every, like FSU's offensive line was awful. And Louisville didn't sack Florida State once. Now, I think Louisville's better, way better up front than they were two years ago, but cautionary tale. Like, I, I've, I've heard this song before where it's like Florida State can't block anybody and they and they didn't get to, to FSU at all. Now, it's a different, you know, this is not Willie from two years ago or any of that stuff. Like, I know it's different, but I've heard this before. I think there is a bit of like an all-hands-on-deck type thing here, you know? So I, I wouldn't rule out them finding some way to put up points. Um you know, obviously, Louisville has faced tempo this year to you know, varying degrees of success, and then sometimes, you know, not at a couple times against Old Miss. I guess they weren't lined up, but against UCF, they handled it pretty well. It seemed like, even though UCFs, you know, they they, they go pretty quick now. They did this totally um, like douchebag thing against UCF too. Like UCF would sub, and they would wait. Like they'd wait for that sub to run all the way in, and then run somebody off and make the ref stand over the ball. Like they did that over and over again. And honestly, I'm going to get on. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I was thrilled because I've I've been afraid that Scott doesn't have enough of like that in him, the gamesmanship, kind of the a holy stuff that you kind of got to do. And I yeah. like I was, I'd hate it if the other team did it, but I was legitimately encouraged that he kind of had it in him because I've always had him as kind of like an Andy Griffith kind of thing which is fine you know it's a culture thing and all that but like to see them kind of hang over near the shaded edge of the of the border it, it honestly encouraged makes sense especially to mess with Gus offensive line wise who's super sensitive about anyone doing anything against this poor offense like stealing signals <laughs> yeah that is that is true uh, although he's okay with, with his own staff doing it in, the, uh, in a national title game yeah um, at least for a half. So, offensive line wise, you feel pretty good. I feel okay. 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 I don't feel good. Like I, it's 
hovers around replacement level. You know, like against UCF, or excuse me, against Ole Miss, I was disappointed. I thought they really got pushed around. And we'll see if if it turns out in time that, that Ole Miss really kind of upgraded up there. But I thought they got kind of pushed around. And I think Scott was kind of surprised at the degree to which they got pushed around in that game. That nose guard for Ole Miss ain't bad. Yeah, that, I think you're right. In the middle, the middle linebacker kind of changed everything for them. Like you know, when they lost the the kid that transferred to Kentucky, uh, mm. well, I want to But that they brought that kid in from from Maryland, you know, to play for DJ Durkin, and it, it did make a very big difference against UCF. They really held up. I think they did, and that's a pretty good defensive line. A bunch of SEC transfers on that uh, on that line. They did all right. They did okay. Uh, and the truth is, they're probably not going to play a whole lot of defensive lines that are a lot better than that. Uh, so they're okay. Now they're not, there's no Mackay Becton. There's not the shadow of Mackay Becton. There's not Kirkland brand Mackay Becton. There's no any kind of Mackay Becton up there. But, but they're better in terms of uh, variance between the best and the worst player on the line than they've been since it's been here. So they're not one sided, you know, they're not lopsided or anything like that. And, and that's good. So like they're, they're okay. How does Louisville lose this game? I think they'll have to help. You know, I, I think that if if you get the bad Malik Cunningham, which is either him being kind of uh, jittery uh, or helping in terms of fumbling the football, you know, if there was anything that was just – I would love uh, for for you or Bill Connolly or somebody who loves the numbers numbers to dig into. There was something about fumbles either like on or within proximity to big plays that just seemed to have extra – negative psychological value. And, and the thing about Malik Cunningham is last year, there'd be like a, he'd get uh, flushed out of the pocket and he'd, he'd, he'd juke two defenders in the backfield, have a 35-yard run, and then fumble at the end of the run. And then Louisville would give up a touchdown in like three plays. Like that sort of thing happened over and over and over again a year ago. And he, right now, Louisville, uh, turnover margin, I think is zero at this point. You know, they were super negative a year ago. Uh, so I think as long as they don't help and sort of give that intangible emotional boost to Florida State where it's like, we can mess with this guy. He's going to hurt them too. Uh, against UCF, he didn't have any turnovers until that crazy, like just give UCF's defensive end a great credit, bat it up in the air and catch it. That's crazy. Uh, he didn't help, and he really hasn't helped anybody uh, like that this year. If he, As long as Louisville doesn't help, I think it'll be exactly like the UCF game. I think it'll just sort of be a how do we do between the 20s kind of game. Uh, and as long as the other, like just um, unforeseen, un, uh, unexpected, a kick return, a punt return, you know, special teams sort of things that you don't bake into your analysis typically. And I don't think that Louisville is especially good or bad at any element of special teams. I don't think Florida State is either. You know, as long as there's not, not like, Oh, look at that. They had 195 yards of uh, return yards in this game. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, I think it'll be a nail biter right down to the edge. I don't think Louisville's a world leader by any means. And I know you guys are understandably disappointed with where Florida State is, but uh, you know, this, this is a 50 50 game as long as nobody gives somebody some sort of one of these little side item helpers. I think about the Louisville played Wake Forest two years ago, 62 59. Oh God, it was a bonkers game. <laughs> oh, it was nuts. I mean, three onside kicks. You know, but Louisville got outgained uh, by Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest ended up running close to a hundred plays. Louisville was gassed by the end. But Louisville had a kick return for a touchdown for hundred yards. They had a punt return down to like the five yard line. 
uh, in that game. And like, as long as there's nothing like that, I think Louisville will win close. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I what's something you said there was you, you'd much prefer to see Mackenzie Milton. Um, yeah. That's actually something if you listen to the broadcast on, uh, on Saturday. Uh, it's pretty clear to me that the Wake staff told the broadcast staff the same thing. They that they thought FSU's offense was much more difficult with Jordan Travis in there. I, of course, the last time we seen Jordan Travis do anything with the football was Saturday, uh, when his arm was hanging by his side, not really moving it. Um, that's the last I've heard about him you know, doing football related stuff. So, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, you know it, what what happened to practice this week, or you know what what happens if he can get out there uh, on Saturday. Obviously, you know, he took a couple nice shots in that game. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that. Uh, but obviously, I think he's got some motivation to play probably against Louisville if, if he's able to get out there physically and do it. And I, I do think this is a game that the staff, uh, like, I think there's some games they realize that they just can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we talk about how this offensive line uh, has real problems, especially if certain guys don't play. Uh, but, you know, I said on Cover 3 Podcast today, if I see Smith and Scott start out there or come out there in that starting lineup, I'm going to get off my Louisville bet. I'm going to go ahead and bet, you know, bet FSU and, and just you know net, net, net this thing out and, and let the house eat the juice. Because like, I do think there's a, a pretty significant drop-off there. And if they have those guys in, I think they have a chance to block Louisville you know, up front. Louisville's not overwhelming up front. That's not crazy. Yeah. Um, and then I think defensively how they win is basically we can agree that Wake Forest receivers are, are Probably pretty superior, I would think, to what Louisville has with, with Roberson and AT and those guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Louisville's wide receivers right now are pretty pedestrian. There's nobody that takes the top off. They're not awful. Um, but there's there's just no Chuchu Atwell. There's no Des Fitzpatrick. You know, they're coming along. Uh, I think there's potential there. But like we spent the whole preseason being told Tyler Harrell runs like a 419, all this. That's great. He can't move. Like he can't. You know, you press. He's he's, he's Tetris. He's Chuck fast. Yeah, he's he's. Uh, yeah. When I was a kid, Dennis Gentry. Remember, like that was like, oh god, Dennis Gentry, like the, the Bears. Like, yeah, that's great. He ran in the Olympics. That's wonderful. Uh, like, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything, you know. Like that's the. But no, I, I think Louisville's wide receivers have have a lot to prove. So now. I think they're coming along, uh, but there's there's just no thing that made you like just petrified like you've had the first two years for sure. You know, I think about some of the matchups. Like, I they'll probably try to double Jermaine Johnson as much as possible. I, I certainly would, or read um, Jermaine Johnson too. Yeah, exactly. Right, um, right. You know, Lo- Lovett has been a nice player for them. Like, Lo- Lo- Lovett's going to get himself drafted as, as a nose guard. Yeah. Like, he's he's an NFL type prospect. I think. Kier Thomas, I don't think has like an NFL type future, but he's a fairly decent college player. He's a good fit for what's required with what y'all run. Good I feel run I, I, I like yeah. that matchup pretty good. Uh, Briggs on the Sets inside has turned well. into a pretty decent player. The, the defensive line is good. I mean, the that that much I feel fairly good about. UCF and, has had a nice defensive line. What, what Louisville made all of its money, made all of its hay. Linebackers playing horizontally. You know, they beat them across the field over and over and over again. Like, And, and I think the game plan will probably look similar to that. Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's so. Wake, Wake did a really nice job of passing the football kind of in the middle of the field uh, and you know exploiting the seams and whatnot. Which you know, I, I don't know how how good Cunningham is at that. Maybe like, is he comfortable throwing the ball over the middle? 
Yes, but not not as good as Hartman. You know, it's not like the bread and yeah. butter of the offense, uh, but but increasing, improving. You know, I think that there there was a recognition starting after the, the second half of the Ole Miss game forward. Like that was a once they sort of made peace with the fact no one's getting over the top. You know, th- then all of a sudden I think that there was a little recognition. We better figure this out. It was m- better against CKU. It was much better against uh, UCF, but. You know, it's certainly not, it's just not what Scott loves to do. Scott wants to run outside zone and he wants to run bootleg and he wants to play action and throw it over the top. And I think he's the one that sort of had to mourn. That's just not what they're going to be very good at this year, at least not early on. And certainly, certainly, even if Louisville scores points and gets yards, it's not going to look like last year where it was just nobody before they could guard you too well. (laughs) Like that, that's just not going to happen this year. Red zone wise, you feel good about their offense in a red zone? Yeah, yeah, I think in the red zone, this is where uh, where there's no expectation of space like that. You know, they, they did whatever they wanted against UCF. They scored in the red zone. Like, I think that they can get a couple yards if they have to mash it up against somebody like that. That's They're good at that. You know, it, it's it's just the, when, when there's all this space and you want to take the top off and make somebody uh, be uncomfortable guarding all of it, they haven't been able to do that. But in the red zone, like against UCF, they score in the red zone every time. They've been fine. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens uh, early in this game. Sydney Williams, uh, who I think has been FSU's best run-stopping safety, and you, you may disagree, but I, I thought like he's he's had a pretty nice year coming down, you know, and, and stopping the run. So he actually caught a targeting uh, at the end of the weight game. Uh, so he'll be out for the first half, which I'm you know I'm sure Louisville staff knows, but uh, that'll be interesting to see like who plays that role for FSU. You know, is it Gant? Is it Dent? Is it somebody else? Uh, obviously, the the safety play last year, uh, I actually do think it's been improved this year. It was despite the last year. nonsense, yeah, it was really bad. Like like they they exploited it the hell out of that in that game uh, last year in Louisville on in route to scoring what forty something points, I think it was. They five or maybe fifty on drives in that game it was nuts. Yeah, seriously. Um, you know that that to me is is going to be pretty key. FSU, if I'm them, I'm prob- I probably try to play a little bit. A little bit softer, a little more conservative early on, um, and then you know, see if you can keep this thing tight. Let your defensive line win. Tackle the underneath stuff. That, um, that that's what Ole Miss did. You know, after the game, after the Ole Miss game, uh, the the staff and Malik Cunningham both all sort of said like, we thought, hey, they had a bad rush defense. They would commit eight guys to the box. They'd run blitz, you know, and things like that. And when we got drop seven, drop eight on almost every play, and they got a little bit of pressure from it, they it took them almost a whole half of the game to, to adjust. They scored 24 points in the second half, so it was better. But they were shocked that, that Ole Miss was willing to sort of take their chances. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Florida State do the same thing because I think they've got them. I think they have a nice front seven, uh, good enough front seven, maybe even a better front seven than UCF. I think UCF is a good defensive line, but I think Florida State's got a better front seven. I wouldn't be surprised to see them try something like that too and see if Louisville will be patient and sort of take the dink and dunk stuff early. If the if they're not able to sort of move them up front, yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. And it, it'll it'll be on the offensive staff to see if they can. I don't know if you watched the last episode we did with, with the uh, stuff FSU's coaches can't really say. Uh, we, we did uh, their coordinators are called uh, or their names are uh, Adam Fuller and Kenny Dillingham, and we went with uh, Adam Fuller Truth and Kenny Rillingham, and uh, <laughs> which was a good bit. We we may have to bring that back a couple times. I did see, by the way, I did see lots of angst about Dillingham being like, hey, every time we go out there, teams run all this stuff we've never seen before. 
and everyone being real yeah. mad about that. I'm like, buddy, welcome to the job. Like, this is the job. He was a little too honest. Uh, you know, I what we said that he couldn't say was, oh my God, our receivers suck so bad that Wake Forest, a team that runs like 8% man free, is now going to run like almost all man free against us because they just know that, that our receivers are terrible and they don't care. I think Louisville's going to do that too. Uh, yeah, and the thing well, is, there's, there's, not there's no reason for team, anyone right? not to do that. I mean, that's the expectation. Yeah, I I, I think that's what I would do too. Uh, most likely, they how much how much man have they played this year? There's still more zone, right? Normally, uh, yeah, they tried a ton of of man free, a ton, uh, and and then they dropped eight a lot against UCF because they did a good job staying ahead of the chains. If it yeah. got the third down, it was going to be a, some sort of zone. You know, like they, they don't like Brian Brown loves that stuff. Like they'll drop eight. They, they will. And I think I'm they would love to drop eight against McKenzie Milton. Like I think they would love that. You know, he's not a, he's not a rocket arm guy. He's Harris from major league. That's charitable. He's yeah. easy. The release is really quick. The actual ball speed is not good. Right. At all. He's decisive. And that comes from experience. And I would not take that away from him. But Jordan Travis is the one that's going to push the ball down the field. And, and I'll, Dylan Gabriels and, and Matt Corral are gorgeous deep ball throwers. And I don't think McKenzie Milton can make one throw those two can make. No, definitely not. But I think, I think McKenzie Milton knows exactly where to go with the ball. It's, it's about being able to get it there. And I think that's sort of the, the role that Dyson Will was going to play. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I'd probably play it. This will be interesting. I think it's going to be close. Uh, I think it's going to be really close. Just like the one two yeah. years ago. I think this game is going to be a lot like the 2019 game where Florida State had a big lead, 21 nothing. Louisville came back and actually had the lead and was driving to kind of, I think, kind of put the game away. Bad interception, then Florida State scored, and then the game was kind of over after that. I think it's going to look a lot like that. That would be... Let's see. Wild. You are more optimistic than I am, Mark. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I drove, you guys, I, like, just to sort of reverse the juju. Like, I drove... So, Sports betting is legal in Indiana, not legal in Kentucky. It'll be legal in Kentucky in like the year 2500. But I drove across the river <laughs> to Indiana. I drove across the river to Indiana. Uh, DraftKings advertises with us. I drove across the river to bet in Indiana. And I bet UCF and I bet the under. And then UCF law, Louisville won and the overhead. Uh, and I was like, fine, fine. Oh, I had Louisville in the over. Oh, man. For you. I was like, so you know my money is what you're saying. Basically, yes, but not attracting <laughs> like the same with, with the state of Florida, obviously with all the lawsuits and stuff, it's gonna be a little while. Lord. Yeah, that'd be nice. Is anything yeah. illegal in Florida? Uh like as far as sports that's mandates. That's it. Yeah. Seriously. Oh man, here come here come the two star reviews. Thanks, Edis. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh all right. Hey, my mother and brothers are still down there, so it's not like I'm talking like I don't know what I'm talking. I feel like you're, do you feel like you're more of a Louisville guy or are you more of a Florida guy still? It's about 50, 50 now. Like, you know, I've been gone 20 years. I left in 02. So hmm. uh, it's, it's down the middle, but I mean, I make frequent trips. My mother visits me five times a year. So I, I stay abreast all my friends. I tell you what, you know, what were one of the funniest things about beating UCF and beating them the way that, uh, that I did, uh, that the way that Louisville did growing up, you know, but you remember UCF, like they didn't. 79 was the first year I think they played football at all. And for the vast majority of it, it was, you know, FCS and they were never on TV. I mean, Dante Culpepper played on game. I was about yeah. to say, Dante, Dante Culpepper, Culpepper was plays the- in my buddy's golf league, by the way, in Fort Myers. <laughs> That's great. 
so many of my friends from high school at Chamberlain in Tampa that went to USF texting me like, thank God. Just people love the <laughs> UCF was finally suffering for once. It was pretty great. I live here in Orlando now, so it's like, you know. You don't have uh, to say anything. I know they'll burn your house. It's fine. Oh, the yeah. So they're, they're great. Totally deserve. That's right. Not new money at all. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> no, very deserving. Um, Georgia, so you guys don't play Miami this year. Yeah. Are you going to beat Kentucky? Oh, God. Don't do this to me. <laughs> that defense, that, Kentucky's defense is not good. But just imagine, like, you see, uh, Kentucky fans are UCF fans plus SEC for 55 years. Like, that's, the, you can't, no, I can't do that. That's fair. I'll have my identity stolen. <laughs> Mark, you got a prediction? Or are you dropping it tomorrow on the radio? Uh, I, I think, no, I, that's okay. I don't mind. I, I think Lil is going to win. And I think it's going to look almost exactly like the, US, the, the UCF game. You know, I think Lil will win extremely closely. Uh, it'll be uncomfortable and mildly dissatisfying to everybody. Uh, but I think as long as they don't just help FSU win, I think they'll win something like 30 to 23 or 30 to 24 or something like that. Like, I think it'll be, what's the over under on this game? You know, 62. I would go under. Yeah, I, I would too. Like the only thing that makes me not want to is the pace adjustment. Like FSU does play fast when they get first downs, which if, you know, if they don't get any first downs, it doesn't really matter. Like you can have the intent to go fast, but then not go fast. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I also think it's probably an under game. Yeah, I, um, I, would, I think Louisville will win outright. I would go under. You know, I, Scott loves to just sort of hold on to the ball. I, I think that Milton is much less likely to be able to sort of take the top off uh, than Jordan Travis uh, would be able to. And I don't think Jordan Travis is going to play. So, uh, but I think it's going to be down to the wire. Like, I don't think anybody gets to get comfortable in this one at all. I guess fair. Uh, you actually stole my score. Oh, so. wow. How about that? Yeah. Great minds. So what do you got? 16 or some shit like that. Uh, I, th- I mean, maybe I'm just a prisoner of the moment. I haven't heard a whole lot of positive information today. I thought going into this pod that it would be one of the few times where uh, Bud was more optimistic than I am. Uh, I think Florida State loses by 13 points. I mean, I, I, I don't know that Florida State has the ability to be competitive on offense. I think the defense wears down over time and Maybe you know thirty six to twenty three, something like that. What's like? I'll I'll rely on YouTube in this regard. You know, I still remember twenty eighteen and how much into the tank Louisville went after the Florida State game, uh, and there was a there was a very obvious turning against the coaches. I don't think Florida State has that, but I feel like this is going to kind of be the last stand. Like I think Florida State knows, like if they lose this game, it's like two and ten or. Yeah, where are they at psychologically? You got Syracuse coming up, which helps. Um, I don't. Wake Forest. I don't want to say was last stand, but when you lose at home to Jacksonville State, you need a bounce back, and you didn't get it last week. Um, I don't know that you'll necessarily have a locker room turn against the coaches. I do think the fan base. I think I think they could get frustrated on Saturday, and you could hear it uh, in a manner that you don't necessarily hear it from college fans all the time. Yeah, I I think that for the as far as I know, they are not having any issues 
like personality-wise, behavior-wise, buy-in-wise, from any of the high schoolers that they took in Orvell's classes. There are definitely some guys who are from Willie's classes and from Jimbo's classes who they're like, mm. It would be nice if you could move on. Well, but also like some of those dudes are, a couple of those guys are talented. So it'd be like, it'd be, the, the option A is like, please get with the damn program. Yeah. Option B would be like, hey man, if we lose another game or two here, why don't we just go ahead and play some of these guys we signed? Because you're not going to be here by the time we actually get good. Gotcha. Um, but like, I think the the combo of the young guys that they've signed and, you know, obviously like those guys talk to the recruits who are coming in. Um, they seem to still be kind of with, and he's so new. So like, you know, reasonably, I'd be surprised if you had like a massive team quit on. Yeah. Um, now, some of the transfers, I don't know. We'll see. Um, some of those guys who aren't working out so well, hard hard to, to tell. They're not really like part, they haven't been in the program for a while. You know, how do you know what they're going to do? You don't have the opt-out thing like that a year ago. Right. Yeah, I was thinking otherwise, otherwise UConn should just opt the hell out. Oh my God. <laughs> right? God, they play Clemson this year, guys. <laughs> oh god, I didn't think about that. You can't play Clemson. That's gonna be tough. Yeah, uh, I saw. I saw Bill Connolly had the uh, the worst uh, rating on them from any the team since nineteen twelve. The sun is hot. Yeah, that'll be tough. <laughs> yeah, that's like a World War One issue, right? Um, hey, maybe some guys will opt out and they'll come drink with us at Township Saturday at noon. That's right. It's the Noel Cast Listener Appreciation Event. Noel's are zero and three. Uh, but the beers go down just the same. We're going to be hanging out at Township. Uh, Mark, are you coming down for the game? I'm not. I'm anchoring things for back in the studio, so I'll be up. You are missing a ridiculously nice weekend as far as weather. This is absolutely sundress season. It is going to be oh. like 78 to 85 in Tallahassee. Uh, no rain predicted. For That's Florida. You know, asterisk. asterisk. Uh, anyway, hit us up at Township at noon. Ingram and I will be there in the little private beer garden area. It's going to be a blast, man. I'm jealous. I would love that. Um, yeah. So I guess we just await the injury report, right? If uh, if we see if we see Scott and Smith in there, I think it's really game on. If not, I, I think I think FSU will will move to and four. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. We'll probably knock out a couple a uh, couple listener questions for our Patreon here. I guess. Um, man, I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, anytime, guys, and trust me, man. I know exactly how this feels. God, just hang in there. <laughs> we'll do. We'll uh, we'll have you on again next year. Always enjoy. I love it, you guys, man. Anytime, anytime. All right, Mark. Take care, buddy. Appreciate it. Yep. All right. So now we'll go to a couple of our uh, Patreon questions here as we fill it out. First, though, we do want to thank Legendary Home Loans, Legendary Team eight four four FSU Loan. It's eight four four FSU Loan. Always a great time when you give that number a call because you'll get a great rate, awesome customer service consistency of product. We're not really seeing great... I guess they are consistent this year. In fact, they lose every game, but not consistency as far as uh, you know, relative to the hopes. Consistency of product you get from Shannon and Chad at the Legendary Team is excellent. In fact, I've, I've used them twice. Been extremely satisfied both times. 844-FSU loan. Get your home loan or refi done today. What Patreon question do you want to take here? Uh, all right, man. So we've got 16, which is great. We can't get to 16 questions, particularly after when we have a, a guest as good as Mark and we do, you know, 45 minutes with him. So uh, we'll try to get to a couple here and uh, do the best that we can to knock out some of these. Um, let me just start off 
with Austin and Jeff. They had two similar questions. Uh, Austin asked, uh, over under on five decommits from those currently committed to this class? Ooh, okay. Uh, let me scan this. I, will I personally think five is, is a rich number. I'd go a little bit uh, below that. I would say that the general consensus of conversation that I hear I don't know if celebrating is the right term, but, uh, you know, look, we're all looking for something positive right now and to latch on to it, right? And I'm not just trying to be a rainy day asshole with how I am on this podcast, but I think we should wait until Halloween before we really start to take, uh, you know, credence that this class is sticking together or that it's not. I just think right now we're a little too early. And uh, we need to give this thing a little bit more time. Um, a little bit worried about what I personally think is the best offensive lineman that you have committed, the kid out of IMG. That's going to be tough. We've known that for a while. Yep. Uh, some of the other kids that we profiled that would fit the typical description of those that you're going to have to battle with uh, going into a year like this. I will say one thing is that both fans, and I think recruits in general, for whatever reason, um, put a lot of emphasis on if a quarterback bails from the class. And I, I think you're pretty safe there. I mean, Duffy, uh, you are, you're pretty good as far as a competitive school situation, good relationship, certainly a very clearly defined path to being the starter in year one. Um, I, I think that, that part of it you'll hold together and, and that may help to hold this class slightly better than you would historically when you perform at a level like this. But, uh, you know, if you continue along this path, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna decommits are coming certainly. I'm I'm gonna go under, uh, very slightly. I think um, this team just lost to Jacksonville State and it lost to Wake, and unless you get more offensive linemen playing this weekend than I think you get, you got, I think you'll lose Louisville. Not impossible to beat Louisville as we obviously just discussed with Mark. You could, your defensive line could could dominate them. Uh, and maybe you actually hold on to some footballs and get some turnovers or something like that. It's not like Cunningham is a real precision passer, as Mark told us. Um, Miami being as bad as they are really helps, really helps right now. Because like, I think if Miami was rocking, maybe you worry about losing Richardson and Daniel Lyons and those guys back to Miami. But here's the difference. FSU's kids knew that she wasn't going to be good this year. I don't think they thought they were going to be this bad, obviously. I don't think anybody did, including the staff. Although, if you had told them, hey, if you lose Schrader, not coming back this year, uh, you know, Scott for multiple games, Smith for multiple games, you have to kick Lucas off the team, they'd be like, oh, God, we might win two, three ball games. Yeah. You know, so. And the list of concerns may be broader than that, even. Parchment, so, it's uh, going to be a total bust as a, as a receiver transfer. Mackenzie Milton is, is definitely like on the lower end of potential outcome ranges that you thought. Blah, 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 blah. But Miami, Miami was telling kids they were going to be good this year, for sure, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. that, this was supposed to be the year. Derek King came back. The uh, tackle that transferred from Houston came back. A lot of guys came back to that team. And they will probably not miss a bowl. But the fact that I had to use the word probably there is concerning. And it, they'll win this weekend because they get Central Connecticut State, I guess. Uh, and they'll go to two and two, but I mean, after that, UVA is probably going to be an empty stadium, right? Um, that's that's also an interesting short rest game. So Miami's got to get ready for that. Of course, UVA has to get ready for it too. Uh, at North Carolina, NC State at Pitt, Georgia Tech at FSU, Virginia Tech at Duke, they'll probably win six or seven games. 
you know? Um, but I don't know, man. That's not a great, like, it's sort of how do you do relative expectations and where you are in your build or your rebuild. So I don't think they're quite as big of a threat for some kids now as I once did. So for that reason, I would go under uh, very slightly. And I echo your concerns there on the kids that you mentioned that are concerns. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lee says Nor was an off- Norvell was an offensive play caller at Memphis and was able to call good plays slash games since coming to Florida State. That doesn't seem to be the case with very questionable calls, especially the last two weeks. We know the receivers suck, the quarterback situation isn't great, and the offensive line dot 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 guessing Lee would rather not speak about it. I hear you, Lee. If Dillingham is making the calls, shouldn't Norvell step in and say, hold up, or something like that, instead of letting some of these questionable play calls happen? Or is he calling these plays in conjunction with Dillingham? I'm trying to figure out how he went from being a pretty good play caller at Memphis to the things we're seeing on the field. Should Norvell take over the play calling from here? So, um, but I'll certainly give you the opportunity to answer this. I, uh, I've been critical of Dillingham, some of the things that he said in the press conference and stuff like this, but uh, you've got a decently talented defensive roster. Um, what you've got on the offensive side of the ball is really poor. And unfortunately, with the injuries that you've had, the concentrated injuries that you've had at the offensive line, um, I'm going to have a real hard time being critical of play calls. It's you, Everything has to be, uh, like a, if you're a baseball pitcher, everything has to be junk. Every pitch is junk. You have to try to miss key. You have to try to fool people. Even on a pass play uh, with Travis, you have to draw up some kind of uh, one-read play. Now, sometimes that's a one-read that takes a second to develop. Now you're probably going to get sacked. Uh, everything has to be hoping that you catch a defense in a certain look. Uh, it's just so banged up up front, and I'm, I'm worried that that's actually going in the wrong direction here, uh, that I'm, I'm going to have a real hard time being critical of play calls slash play callers. You know, um... If you, if you could pass protect it, right, you could get creative and make up for, for some of your receiver problems. You know, or if you had guys who could win one-on-one and win quickly, you could make up for some of your pass protection problems. Or if you had a quarterback who could make very difficult throws. Um, but when scheming up one-on-ones is a losing strategy, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be intentionally negative here. I'm just trying to be real about this. What did Dillingham tell us? What did Rillingham tell us? Hey, one-on-ones are losing plays for us. Normally, one-on-ones are plays that we are trying to scheme up. We want to get one-on-ones for our best playmakers. Now, they are losing plays. I can't just scheme up one-on-nuns every play. Like I'm not going to fool defenses that often. I, I have a really hard time accepting the idea um, and I, I'm not saying Lee's asking the question of bad faith. I don't think he is. We can all nitpick individual calls, right? I mean, this team still found a way to score, what, 38 points against Notre Dame when they had probably their healthiest offensive line of the year, um, you know, even though Maurice was banged up for that. And they, and they had some drives last week. They, they outgained Wake on a per-play basis. Uh, I think they're going total blood from a turnip here. I, I don't expect a whole lot of improvement on offense. In fact, I, I agree with you. I think it could get worse. 
We'll see. We'll see. Ebo asked this past season, we saw the staff take 12 transfers with an emphasis on the defensive side and specifically defensive backs. We most likely won't see the team go for 12 again. Other than O-line, will there be an emphasis on another position? He asked potentially linebackers. Well, um, it's possible, right? Uh, with the new rule, I'm, I'm sure you saw this, but it looks like it's going to get passed. Mm-hmm. And we, we should probably talk about this during the bye weeks. I think it's an interesting topic as it relates to FSU. But basically, for every, if you take 25 high schoolers, for every kid that transfers out, you can take an additional uh, scholarship for a transfer up to seven. So you actually could take 32 new players in if you have room for them in your 85, of course. Uh, but like they could take 25 high schoolers and then have, you know, like Lucas will be a transfer. Uh, so that will, uh, that'll count for one. I'm sure they'll have a couple more guys who, who count. Um, so they, I mean, I would probably go take a linebacker. I would try to take another receiver. Uh, I think you hope that your tight end room looks better by next year with, you know, with some of the guys you just signed. Um, I would go get another offensive lineman just in case. Although, I mean, look, Darius isn't going pro early this year, right? Robert Scott still has to stick around for another year. You hope that Schrader gets back from the rehab and looking good. They like Marie Smith as a player if he could just ever, you know, stay healthy. Ira Henry's not going to work out, in my opinion. Um, can you get one of Lloyd Willis or Rod Orr to become a decent backup tackle next year? This has always been kind of the plan. Go back to what we said on signing day, right? Probably a third year in the program starting for Rod Orr. You know, can 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 Willis start as like a redshirt junior, redshirt senior type guy? You know, hoping to get two good years out of him later in his career, best case scenario. Um, you know, can one of those guys develop just one year ahead of schedule? But I would still probably try to go get another offensive lineman if I was them. Maybe you want an interior guy. I don't think you go nuts at DB. You have some some young DBs that, that you like quite a bit. I know they like Cooper and Brown a whole lot. You still have a decent number of these DBs on the roster here next year if they decide to kind of, you know, fully commit. If you found a good fit at safety, you'd take them, in my yeah, opinion. That's fair. I think so. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think there, there's one position that stands out where you have to go get a million guys. Uh, I would try to go take another receiver. Dominic says, let's have a little fun here. If you had to go out and pick a top defensive coordinator, who would you pick? I think Norvell's too young and early into his coaching career to go out and get a big dog offensive coordinator, so I won't even ask. Uh, So I won't even ask uh, if Norvell will resume play-calling duties. Uh, He says he looks forward to meeting us at Township and go Knowles. So Dominic, certainly appreciate your support, and we look forward to meeting you and any Patreon and any listener uh, out there. So again, we'll remind you noon at Township. Uh, I think we'll be there from probably about noon to two thirty, two forty-five or yeah. so. So hope to meet as many of y'all as possible and uh, look forward to fantastic weather and the, the patio on Township's an exceptional place. So uh, yeah, defensive coordinator. I mean, we'll have time to talk about this. Certainly. Um, there's some names out there. You think we're going to have, you think we'll be having this conversation? Uh, potentially. I well, I just mean like we. This will play itself out. I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say. This is not going to happen next Tuesday. Well, depends on what happens this weekend. But yeah, I do think you'll see some turnover on on uh, the defensive side of the staff, if nothing else. And uh, 
you know, maybe maybe during the bye week we can get you a five person defense coordinator hot board or something silly like that. But uh, that is a good time to do something like that because uh, you know it may be a direction that you're headed in. I mean, look, the, the obvious one that I think you would go tires on, I don't know that he would say yes, I would probably not say yes, uh, is, is Dan Lanning at Georgia, right? He's Georgia's DC. That's always going to be Kirby's defense. So the argument basically goes like, you want to step out of that spotlight and run your own defense. Of course, you're also you know, giving up Georgia's players, which if I'm Dan Lanning, I'm not taking that shoot job. I think he's also probably going to get offered a pretty quality head coaching job. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I would, hell, I go offer to pay him three million dollars a year from Florida State. I mean, I would I would do silly stuff, uh, and I know this is a school that can't necessarily afford that, but can't really afford to be firing your head coach every two to three years either. So, let's spend the money in the one direction or in the one of the few places in college athletics where I think it's actually warranted, and you're relatively guaranteed somewhat returned. And uh, yeah, let's let's back the Brinks tr- truck up for defense coordinator, please. Um, Let's see. Justin says, one of the reasons I love your show is its intellectual honesty, assuming that dedicated fans want cleared eye analysis over hype. As you've said many times, last year was year zero. On the Wake Forest episode, you bluntly stated that Norvell will need four to five years. I agree. I honestly think that college football fans need instant gratification and the financial pressure on programs to perform has led to many hasty firings and knee-jerk reactions. One, is there room in college football for growth anymore, or have we shrunk to a two to three season timeline? Two, does the Noel fan base have the patience uh, to wait for the results? And three, based on what we're seeing, do you believe that the program is on the right track <laughs> to be a top 10 team in four years? So, all right, let's, let's go ahead and take these one by one. Um, in four years. I think actually, I think my answer here is going to be kind of positive. Is there room in college football for growth anymore? Or have we shrunk to a two, three-year timeline? We, we may have momentarily shrunk. I, I do think the early signing period is going to cause some ADs to say, wait a second, is it really a good idea to fire a guy for just two years? Absent, like pretty wild stuff going on behind the scenes. No, no real evidence that he's going to be able to turn things around due to rampant disorganization or lack of leadership and whatnot. Uh, no. And FSU may be one of those cautionary tales. Right? Look, look what happened to them. They nuked their roster um, as, as a known side effect of, of their choice. It was a choice. You know? uh, they made the choice. They got to live with the consequences. But I think with, with FSU, the money situation kind of dictates that they almost have to be patient so they might have actually sort of penned themselves in to an outcome that I think is preferable, if that makes sense. Uh, number two. Does the Noel fan base have the patience to wait for results? I mean, does it have a choice? They, they, can, they can bitch and moan on Twitter all they want, but uh, the, the folks who have you know, 20,000 tweets but don't give $20,000 in the end don't really matter. To the out to the decision makers, it's just noise. Uh, I'll reiterate what I said in the instant reaction podcast. I think the fan base was in a pretty good place as far as what to expect. Um, those 
reasonable expectations go out the window when you lose to Jacksonville State. I mean, I, I think this fan base was ready to to climb. Uh, I mentioned that one of the people that I value their opinion the most said, yeah, this team may well win four games. Yeah, it may. Uh, now it may win two games. That's even in a year in which you don't expect much, you probably under-delivered. Uh, that's something that I, I think fan base is going to have a hard time with over time. So That's why I think um, we're going to change the defense coordinator at the end yeah. of the year. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's hard to outrun that. You've got to do... Yeah, exactly. You, you have to do something, and at some point a fan base is going to want to see some change. Uh, so, um, all right. So, final question. Or no, we still got part three. Sorry. Based on what you're seeing, do you believe the program is on the right track to be a top four, top ten team in four years? Um, I mean, obviously, we haven't seen, yeah, we haven't seen a whole lot of good things recently. Um, If you can keep this recruiting class together, let's let's say top twenty program, okay? If you can keep this recruiting class together, relatively speaking, if you keep Hunter, keep McCall, uh, at this point, I don't. Look, I've been pretty optimistic about recruiting for about four or five months now. I don't think you're going to get Kelly. I don't think you're going to get some of these fringe guys that maybe three weeks ago you thought you had a pretty good chance of getting. Um, You keep what you have. Maybe you get lucky with a kid like Coleman, whereas, again, three or four weeks ago, I would have told you you were in pretty good shape with him, really good shape with him. Um, You sign a top top 15, top 20 class, and you just work off of that. And uh, if you can follow that up with another top 15, top 10 class, then, yeah, I'd say, look, you're you're on the verge of, you're on the track to be above average. Uh, but we'll have to see how much, what, what the retention rate in this class looks like, and then I can probably give a little bit better answer to that question. I, I also think that you have a, it's not impossible that they beat Louisville. I don't think they're going to beat Louisville, but it's not crazy to me to think they could. Um, Louisville's not a dominant team. They got blown out by by, you know, by Ole Miss. Uh, they played a very close game with a huge emotional crowd at home, obviously, against UCF. So anything is possible there. And I, I hate that anything is possible as a reason for hope. But it like that that is a it is a winnable game. I don't think they'll win unless some more guys play than you and I expect. Uh, based on on what you've heard, but I I don't think it's not it's not impossible. Yep. Then they have Syracuse. They're not going to beat North Carolina. North Carolina will will carve them up. I, I think they should beat UMass. Best case scenario, you're what three and four at that point. That's best case. Unlikely to happen, but it's not insane to think it it could happen. You know, like I. I actually think they have about, I don't know. What percentage chance would you say that they make a bowl? This year? Yeah. 5%. Well, damn. And that may be optimistic. No, no. I mean, you, you and I had the exact same percentage. Yeah. I read some numbers I'm not on tra- it this morning. Did you? Okay. Yeah. I'm not trying to be too like negative. 4.8. Maybe I just talked to a guy that was having a horrible day, right? I don't know that they're healthy enough to win any game other than UMass, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, maybe Syracuse, yeah, no, maybe you get fair. the Syracuse game. Um, but with my concerns along the offensive line and some other position groups, you're going to struggle for anything this year. And it sucks. 
you know, to to an extent. I don't believe in cursed or anything like that. But you've had concentrated Alex injuries. I believe in cursed right now. Yeah, Alex Atkins is contacting a Catholic priest to walk through the stadium and Voodoo send out whatever demon else. spirits are flying yeah. around. Absolutely, and he's you know calling his a uh, friend sister, this little bohemian, to come you know bohemian to come burn sage or whatever goes on. I mean, you you got to do something because you've got some bad juju that's hung over this program for a couple years, but. Um, you know, you, you, this, I don't remember seeing an area of concentrated injuries, uh, this bad in a long, long time. And, uh, when it's up front and you have some of the other limitations that you have, I just have a hard time seeing you win a whole lot of football games right now. So again, maybe I'm being prisoner of the moment. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe somebody was just trying to sandbag. We'll see. Uh, but I'm in a little bit of a dark place right now with what, with what Florida state's going to look like for the rest of the year. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I I think like the range of outcomes, you know, I, I'm I'm very confident they're going to win at least one game, right? And I feel like the chance they win out is extremely small, obviously, right? Uh, I do think there's a, about a five percent chance uh, that they make the bowl. So if you gave me like a hundred to one, I would obviously take that, you know. Because that's a lot better than than five percent. Miami looks bad. Now you do too. You you look worse than Miami. Let's let's be clear on this. Miami didn't go out there and lose to to an FCS team. We don't really know how Boston College is going to look, and we don't know how healthy you're going to be in that game. Like it's entirely possible that you get Robert Scott and you get Marie Smith back for that game. Be nice. Um, hell, maybe you get him back this weekend. We'll see. BC is not getting their quarterback back this year, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Their defense, I I put this poll on Twitter down if you saw this or not. Who's the best quarterback BC's faced? Is it the Colgate QB? Is it Temple's backup? Or is it it UMass's backup? Because that's literally who they faced. And Boston College is, uh, even with that, is 108 in passing explosiveness allowed. Like they got real problems on defense. Like BC's defense might be worse than FSU's offense. Straight up. Yeah. That unless that kid comes back for them, that's a winnable game. Unless your offense just remains a, a, an injured wreck. Um NC State at home, I don't like your chances. At Clemson, I don't like your chances. At Florida, I, I didn't like your chances in the preseason. But I guess my point here, this is a very long point, so apologies. We're going on pretty long tonight. Is that we really thought you had to win your games early in the season. Now, through no nothing you've done, it's entirely opponents looking worse, either through poor play, injury, or both. You actually have more winnable games on the back half of the schedule than you thought you did. Mm-hmm. Which if you told me, hey, FSU starts 0-3, you're like, oh, well, they are. They're they're screwed, screwed. But then you know some of these other teams look pretty bad. So we'll see how that works out. Absolutely, want to remind you all again uh, to come out see us at Township on Saturday at noon. Uh, also, come out and if you're a person of a business owner or somebody that directly reports to one, uh, our our real good friend Matt Lewis will be out there as well. So if you need to uh, speak 
to one Matt Lewis. And uh, whether you're in Tallahassee or not, you can certainly always give him a call at 844-247-4100 or email him, Knowles at congruityhr.com. Very much look forward to spending some time with Matt. And uh, again, if you're at Township uh, and you want to discuss what congruity can do for your business, he'll be there. And if you're not, shoot him an email. It's uh, certainly worth your time and something we'd encourage all of our listeners to do. All right, buddy. I will see you Saturday. Yeah, look forward to it. Look forward to it. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) This has been an interesting podcast. Always great to have our old friend Mark Ennis join us. Uh, It's hilarious. Before we started recording, I was telling Mark the first sports podcast I ever did, I believe, was with Mark in maybe 2008, 2009 or so. And obviously, you and Mark have known each other for a long time. So great to have a guest of that quality. Thank him for his time. And thank you, the listener, for your time. And uh, we'll have an instant reaction for you on Saturday. And we'll be back again next week to preview what, hey, that's a pretty winnable game. So that should be fun. This has been the Knollcast. The Knollcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.